Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. After a bye week, and you can follow me on Twitter at 440, at, at 440 Sports. That's right. And you can follow me at Braden Gall. <laughs> wow. Take one week off and it just all goes to hell. <laughs> My name's Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish or Instagram too. Um, if you like the show, you can rate it. You can review it. You can subscribe to it. But most of all, just tell somebody that you know that you listen to Lamestream Sports and they should too. Our guest today on the show, Chris Harris, of course, of WSMV Channel 4 here, sports anchor in Nashville. This is a guy who family's been here a very long time. He grew up here, went to high school here, went away to Missouri, J school, of course, uh, worked his way back to Nashville and has been here for, I think, since 2011. So lots of really interesting stories, uh, covered some really wild stuff in his time in, in Waco and Birmingham and uh, and is now back home as a Nashville native doing uh, a lot of really good work. So looking forward to our conversation with Chris Harris from Channel 4. Um, obviously, we'll talk about some of the ESPN issues uh, delicately. And then Na- SEC Media Day is coming up in Nashville. Uh, it's been a very wild summer for folks covering stuff with the draft, NHL draft here. But then we got a whole week of Media Day. So we'll do some fun narrative uh, talking point predictions for you guys coming up a little bit later on. Uh, and recommendations as well. But before we do, Steve Cavendish of the Nashville Banner, NashvilleBanner.com for great election coverage. Lamestream Sports is brought to you by Jaspers. Always, always, always brought to you by the fine folks at Jaspers. Look, I don't know if you want to go watch 47 hours of coverage. I think that's the number that ESPN sent out to us. That's going to be the number of hours of coverage of SEC Media Days. I don't okay. know if you. I don't know if okay, you. Could... For, okay, for the, this is going to be a personal recommendation and maybe a show recommendation here. Don't do that. Do well, not watch. Do not watch forty-seven hours of SEC Media Days coverage. It will rot your brain. But here's a great thing you could do in theory during SEC Media Days next week to stay out of downtown and all the chaos is if you work around the area and you want to have a, a, a really you got to get out of the office for a business lunch and you want to catch up on some talking season. You slide on over to Jasper's. They're going to have SEC Network up there. You can play some games. You can eat some really good food. You're not going to pay for parking. You don't have to deal you, with the and mess. And you are not going to have to deal with the Broadway Bridge that is going to be closed here uh, and create Thank chaos. You so much. Thank you Just so much to- for te- Thank you so much for telling me and reminding me that I have to figure out how to navigate that. I do appreciate it. Um, but you got three teams on Monday. You got four teams on Tuesday. Uh, you got Vandy and George on Tuesday, so if you want to have a lunch, go go pop into Jasper's, and you can watch Georgia and Vandy and Auburn. I know there's a lot of you folks out here. You got Bama and Florida and Kentucky on Thursday, and then of course Tennessee on th- Wednesday, and then you got Tennessee on Thursday. So lots of reasons to go pop in and just catch up on talking season, see what's going on at SEC Media Days, uh, and you can do it from the comfortable, just amazing confines of Jasper's without having to venture downtown into all that craziness. Um, go to Jasper's. There you go. Okay, we'll talk a little. ESPN's had a ton of layoffs, uh, including a very a person very close to me. Uh, I've done fine bomb for about two weeks in a row, leading into SEC media days, and of course, media days are coming. So we've got lots of ESPN and college football talk coming up later on in the show. Recommendations as well. But first up, our conversation with Chris Harris, uh, awesome, awesome guy. We appreciate his time. Here was our conversation with the Channel Four sports anchor. Chris, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for giving us some of your time today. We do appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be here, guys. Thanks. 
So you have a, a bit of a different story than than a lot of folks in in media. Even I've been here for 25 years, but my family hasn't been here for a hundred. So let's take everybody back to sort of your upbringing, your um, your early days. You went to school here. You're from here. Your family's from here, and we'll get to your journey away and then back again. But I'm just curious. Um, w- when did you know? Like when when was broadcasting, TV, sports? Was it always you know deep in your in your soul as a kid or, or again, this was not a professional sports town necessarily uh, when, when we were all growing up. So how did you get to that as a decision? Yeah, I just always grew up playing sports. And then when I was in high school, I realized I wasn't good enough to do anything past that. Um, so I kind of wanted to get into it and actually interned uh, at channel two uh, over a Christmas uh, when I was in high school. Um, and that was like solidifying that, this is something I absolutely want to do and I need to figure out how to do it. But uh, yeah, so since, since high school, since I was about 17, 16 or 17, this is something that I wanted to pursue. Who, who was the, who was the channel two sports anchor then? Yeah, it was John Dwyer. So um, oddly enough, I got the connection through a neighbor who knew Bob Mueller and he was just like, Hey, and I can't imagine, you know, too, this is, you know, in the mid nineties at the time where, somebody mentioned something to Bob. He's like, Hey, I got this high school kid who's interested. Can he come hang out? And like, he, of course, Bob was like, yeah, absolutely. And put me in touch with John. And then, yeah, off we went. If you need a better sort of uh, story to depict the difference between old Nashville and new Nashville, it is Bob Mueller's neighbor getting a young high school kid, a job (laughs) where today that's just not a thing that would happen. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I like to think, you know, in my pay it forward existence that we're all trying to live. Right. I like to think that if that happens down the road for me, I would do the same thing. But yeah, it was just kind of a, it just seemed so matter of fact at the time too, when it happened, it was like, Oh yeah, come on in and hang out and whatever. Everybody has their, everybody has their favorite sort of from that era. Were were you a, were you a, a Rudy guy? Were you a Hope guy? Were Were you watching Channel Two at the time? Yeah, a little bit of everything. And my parents like to tell the story, and that maybe it was predestined that, like, when I was a toddler, like real little, they watched Channel Four. And like back in the day, everyone had a news jingle, right? So, and they <laughs> claimed that every time like the news jingle would come on, if I was in the room, like I would just like stop what I was doing and like look at the TV. <laughs> predetermined i think uh also a scientific uh proof that children are attracted to screens also just want to point just want to point that as a father of two young daughters uh it's just it's just facts so you you go to mizzou everybody knows mizzou among the best two or three journalism schools in in the entire country can you try to explain what makes it so good what is it like whether it's the the curriculum whether it's the history whether it's people helping people get jobs, like what is it about Mizzou that makes it so special for this particular business? Yeah, it's a little bit of all of those, but right right from the get-go, it sets it apart, I think, is, is the curriculum and the experience. So like depending on what path you take, if you go into TV or print or advertising is even part of that too, like you work at either the daily newspaper in town or the NBC affiliate in town. And so like once you get to that level in your classwork, like those are your classes. So I kind of accelerated it um, and stayed over one summer over there and took a couple of classes. And so uh, the classes I took were 12 hour shifts. You work 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. or 1 p.m. to 1 a.m. And you go out and you do a and like it just teaches you about the day and how to, you know, back time your day and, and figure out a workflow and and that like you're doing that as you know a 21 year old in college and what you're putting on. 
what you're doing and producing ends up going on the air if it's, you know, critiqued and approved by a professor out there. Have you watched any of those uh, <laughs> any time recently? Do you still my old stuff? Uh, no, I'm sure it's priceless. Um, <laughs> luckily, there's, you know, like a gatekeeper teacher that we had who's not no longer there anymore, who was like the, basically the decider um, who would like <laughs> let people, you know, say when they're ready to actually go out to the station. And he was phenomenal. But the best thing, too, about it, like because you get it's right in the middle of the country, right? Like in farmlands, USA is where Columbia, Missouri is. So you get people from all over the country who want to go to journalism school. So they're all wired like in a specific way. And so at least from the broadcast perspective, after every show, it is a full on everyone get in the newsroom and we're going to critique exactly what you did. And it's, you know, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And like, it's Socratic method, right? Like you just sit in there, just taking it. Um, and so you just, <laughs> you get, you get much better very quickly. So I'll just preparing you for working with Mike Vrabel. Um, I, I was so we were talking with with, with John Burton, of course, and, and part of his like personality was that he was a, he was kind of a public school kid around Syracuse, didn't get to go to Syracuse and Syracuse, very similar to Missouri. For those that don't know, in terms of the quality of like just the number, sheer number of like great reporters, journalists, broadcasters or whatever. Uh, so that's there's a competition level there. Is there a competition at Missouri between like the writers, the TV people, the radio people, like the play-by-play -play people, like, is there, uh, is, is it a pretty high level of like, we're all trying to beat each other at this? No, at least not when I was there, because like, it's different mediums, right? Um, and so, and you're all under the benevolent J school. So I think when it came to like breaking stories, everyone was kind of in, in the same boat, just trying to figure it out as we, uh, as we go along. But now there's a big camaraderie there. It's just funny to see like, you know, who ends up going where, like I was in the same graduating class as, uh, as Wright Thompson, uh, who's at ESPN. And then also not related Tisha Thompson, who now works as an investigative reporter for ESPN. Just, we were all in the same class together. Just, uh, <laughs> just, just published a really long story about some congressional, uh, insight and yeah. in, investigation into the PGA tour. I recommend the story by the way. Sorry. Yeah. Did, <laughs> did, did, did Wright Thompson sound like the voice of God when he was in high school? I mean, I mean, I mean in college. college. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's always pretty much been that way. Um, we didn't, again, since he was, print like we'd show up at things together and like we knew each other but it wasn't like we were we were hanging out um i did knew he, tisha a lot better did did he wear i've heard stories that he was not the old the the oxford mississippi seersucker was he wearing seersucker in college is the question <laughs> not that i remember now yeah that's what i thought <laughs> we can we can report uh can confirm uh so the things that you learned at that time because the business has changed so dramatically um it, it, how how much of what you learned then are you still using now because again tv as a broadcast hasn't changed a ton but there's so many more things involved in the job so how much have you had to sort of adapt and evolve on the fly and kind of teach yourself over the course of the last 20 25 years yeah uh really the only thing that's different and new is the social media aspect of it everything else like you you get the training there and you're good to go i, I did everything too because i wanted to learn everything like i, I for one semester i produced the six o'clock news just because i wanted that aspect of it i also took a like a web design uh class there as well um to where it would be you know like basically a digital reporter now so i did all of that and all of that you know it's Everything's still the same, even if the software changes. It's just, you know, an upgrade and learning what you do. But really, the only thing that I didn't have in the early 2000s when I was there was social media wasn't a thing. So that that's really the biggest difference. And you you graduate from you graduate from Mizzou. You uh, 
where where was your first market out of school? Waco, Texas. And this was Dave Bliss, Baylor basketball players oh, shooting man. one another like that during that time. So wow. 22 year old who has no idea, like we're like, all right, this guy's gone missing. What in the world? You know? And then like you see the Andy Katz comes down and you see Dave Bliss crying on TV and you're like, holy smokes. And then we go to the one press conference and I think it was John Barr for ESPN shows up and to all of us, at least out of left field was like, can you explain why, you know, X, Y, and Z is, uh, it, you know, money was changing hands or whatever at the time. And he denied it. And then the next thing you know, it, you know, he leaves in shame. So like, that was my introduction to like real, like investigative journalism right off the bat. Just, just an incredible time down there. So, so let's, let's, for everybody that doesn't know, of course, there was uh, essentially player on player violence. Somebody gets killed. The head coach essentially is covering it up. Uh, I'm giving the cliff notes here for people. But but again, if you want to dive deeper into it, I, I'm curious when you when that question gets asked and all of a sudden you guys learn that there's way more to the story. What what happens? Try to explain to us what's going on in, in Waco at that time. By the way, Waco, a place where this kind of story, strangely, is not all that not all that unique. It seems to happen in Waco more, more often than you, than you'd think. Yeah, no, well just, yeah, at the time it was all like reactionary, like what in the world? And then it became like, all right, how do we corroborate this, find out about it or whatever. And just, again, at the time for a small market TV station, obviously the resources that ESPN has to put into this, like they were just out in front of everything and all of our stuff was, was reactionary. And it was just, just crazy. Just crazy. Uh, on the air, are you, 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 you're not doing any opinion at that point, right? Like, especially at your no. age, you're just like, Hey, here are the facts, here are the stories. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Only, only facts. And really like I'm on the air. I'm that way even to this day, just cause that's, that's how I was trained. Like I'm not in the business if, uh, during a newscast of giving opinion. Like that's, that's not what we do. We, we put out the facts and just try to inform people and let them make their own decision. You jumped from, would you go directly from Waco to Birmingham? Uh, I went to from Waco to Dothan, Alabama. You ever heard of that town? <laughs> yes. Yeah, a little stop on the way to Panama City Beach. Yeah. <laughs> south from here. So yeah, I was there for a couple of years, and then I didn't uh, even know Dothan had a station. Oh yeah, there are two there, um, and it's uh, they also get a, like a Panama City station, like it's it's kind of split in there. So they get it in Dothan, and then in Panama City and Destin, you get Dothan TV down there too. So. <laughs> How big of a deal is is prep football to your broad? Like, what percentage of a broadcast in Dothan, Alabama, is prep football? Um, it was on Friday nights. It was big because um, it and it was unique in that we covered three states. Because like Houston County is in the very right hand southern corner of the state, so we get into Georgia. There's some Georgia get, in there as well. Yeah. yeah, and get into the Panhandle some. Um, so yeah, on Fridays it was a big deal. Um, but it wasn't as big in Birmingham when I was there. High school football that we did there was amazing. We did a 55-0 minute uh, high school football show that I would kind of like produce, start producing throughout the week. And uh, we'd have a photographer go and mic up a coach at practice during the week. And we'd run like a mic'd up segment during it. We'd do live phoners with uh, winning coaches after the game. And it was Jesus. Just like, basically like 50 minutes of, of breaking news. And we'd get anywhere between you know, 20 to 30 uh, different games, the highlights of games that we did. Oh. It was just, it was a monster, but it was awesome. I, I can't, I, I can't even kind of wrap my head around like a prep, uh, a prep broadcast being that big. 
I mean, yeah, it was incredible. And, 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 and I, and I grew up in an era where, where preps were a lot bigger than they are now in, in Nashville. I mean, it, there were there was no pro sports. And so, so preps was uh, preps. It wasn't everything, but it was certainly exponentially bigger than it is, than it is now. Sure. Uh, that's amazing. That, that's amazing that in Birmingham, where you, where you have big, you have big time college athletics all around you and, and yet it was still that big. Oh yeah. Well, and, and this is fairly recently. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we're talking like 2010 now. Um, and that was the thing there because they had no pro sports, right? So it was high school football and Alabama and Auburn. And that's what we would do every week. And so like sometimes too, I would put during, when I was there, I would put that show together and like, let's say Auburn was playing, uh, I don't know, at Arkansas or something like that. Then like, I'd put, have the show together uh, by Thursday and then the photographer and I would leave and drive on Friday to the away game in Fayetteville and then be there um, for Saturday and then come back Sunday and like whatever time I had left on Sunday, like, all right, I'm going to go home and just hang out and then Monday get up and start it all over again. So yeah, it was, it was amazing. Can you try to explain the difference in resources? So like Waco is obviously a, a much bigger place than Dothan, but like it sounds like you were kind of running your own ship there uh, in terms of the sports department at that particular station. And then Dothan, I'm assuming you're you're, you're a one man crew in Dothan as well. And then no, and then no, for, I, just, I, yeah, oddly enough. So in Waco, I had two people. Um, it was me and another guy in Dothan. There were two of us as well. Um, and then when I got to Birmingham, we had a four person department. And then when I got here, we had three. And then, you know, during COVID, it was just me. And then uh, now it's back to two. We had um, the last girl, uh, Nikki Latarulo, who joined me uh, for a year, you know, got, just got a job in New York. Um, so she's back there and we've just hired someone else. So she'll be coming up and then we're actually going to be hiring a third person as well. So we're going to get back to a three person department. Oh, that's and, great. Yeah, that's that's really good news, considering their. uh the state of media TV in Nashville to have fewer people at some of the sports stations than Dothan, Alabama uh, is quite absurd. So that's me. That's me. uh, That's me talking. That's just me and my commentary. I I, I need to, I need to ask this question in case there's any students listening to this. Uh, Chris, what was your starting salary in Waco? 20,000 for the first year and then 22 for the second year. Nice. Oh wow, that's a big bump for a second for a second year <laughs> out of school. Twenty percent raise. Ten percent big guy. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was something. I don't. I, I was trying to think actually the other day what the rent was that I was paying then, and well, it was probably. I mean, it was less than six hundred dollars a month, something like that. So for a little. And so, and so you go to Dothan. Did you get a bump maybe to more. go to Dothan? Maybe yeah, more maybe in Dothan. More. Yep. Twenty-five. Twenty-five. No, more than that. Yeah, more than that. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I, I, this is this is this is not the disaster story that sometimes this uh, this question <laughs> elicits from people. That's uh, you could you could afford to eat and maybe drink occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> no. Luck, luckily, it was all right. The one like silly story I have that uh, again I lo- love to tell was uh, when I was in Waco. There was one time I was with my girlfriend and we went through the drive-thru at Wendy's and I like, I like gave him my debit card for, you know, an $8, whatever. And like, it was, it was declined because I had like (laughs) like $6 in my account. And so like I had to pay for, for Wendy's with my credit card. But other, other than that, it was, it was all right. I was fortunate that I didn't have to have, you know, too much of a struggle. 
Folks, every I just a constant reminder that everyone gets into this business to get rich. That is absolutely the motivation <laughs> unequivocally for ever for everyone. Uh, I did the same exact thing. I took my very first job out of college was in Maryland Farms, Brentwood, Tennessee, for twenty thousand dollars a year, having no clue uh, what a budget was uh, in, in in Davidson and Williamson County at the time. Um, right, so yeah. you're in, you're in Birmingham in, in in an era where Nick Saban takes over. Um, were you there when, when the hiring process happened in 07? And then I'm curious because like there was some, you know, there was like national kind of controversy about him saying what he said, but then when he gets there, I'm assuming like, can you try to explain the energy around sports in Birmingham when Nick Saban takes over the Alabama Crimson Tide? Just incredible. And so, yeah, I was there. I was actually there at the airport when he landed. So I was still working in Dothan when he got hired uh, in January of 07. I just come back from so both Auburn and Alabama played in bowl games close to one another. Alabama was in uh, Shreveport and Auburn was in the Cotton Bowl. So I drove out there from Dothan and hit Shreveport and then Dallas and was on my way back when all of this was transpiring. So I just stopped. I had a, re- I had a relative that lived in Birmingham um, that I spent the night with. Um, and then the next day, yeah, went straight to the airport. And ironically enough, um, as we found out years later, and it's how small of a business this is, I think Kayla Anderson was working in Huntsville at the time. And so she was there, like, we were there at the same time, just had no idea who one another was. I'm sure we saw one another, don't remember, but we were act- actually there at the same time. But yeah, he- uh, That's funny. Yeah. So, yeah, he flies in a little private thing and, you know, the cops are there trying to keep, you know, everyone stay back and you're here. Well, as soon as he gets off, like some drunk woman runs up and like wraps her arms around him and gives him like a, this big kiss on the cheek. And then other people start coming up and cops are like pushing people away. And he walks through and gets in the car and just like takes off. And like that was it. But there were hundreds, hundreds of people at this little private airport just losing their minds when he got off the plane. And, and this was before he won a single football game uh so then what was your what how how much fun do you have covering because they go the the, the 07 season is what it is for those that don't know and have an exact memory of Nick Saban and Alabama football um but then by 08 he's undefeated in the regular season they lose to Tebow in the SEC championship game they come back and beat Tebow the next year in the SEC championship game they go undefeated what what is that rise like cover coverage wise and how much like into a newscast does all of a sudden the Alabama football team get more and more important Oh, yeah. Uh, huge. And really, like even before him, it was if they do something, it's it's leading the newscast just because, again, in Alabama, that's that's what you have. Um, but the difference just as far as our, our resources and coverage, like when I got to Birmingham again, I got there in December of 09. So I was at the SEC championship in 08 with Dothan um, and then again in 09 uh, going to Birmingham um, and just, yeah, you know, every it was just unbelievable. So in, in 09, I was there. Uh, I had just gotten there right when they go to Pasadena. So I'm back at the station and like they're in Pasadena. I'm back at the station. And I'm making sure everything, you know, is fine on their end. But just the volume of stuff like we did, you know, an hour long pregame show and then just postgame show for as long as it goes, because this, Alabama's won the national title for the first time since, you know, 92. Right. And so it's just we're taking the postgame stuff live and just. I don't know how long we were on the air, but it was it was just crazy. And we were like, man, this is something. And then the next year is when Auburn goes. And so I go out to Arizona for that and we do it all again. And then I leave to come here. And then, like, you know, they're still going. 
you know, Alabama goes back and then Auburn goes back to play Florida State and Jameis Winston. And it was just an amazing stretch of like four or five years in that market where guys are going to national championship games every single year. But four different teams. Yeah, <laughs> just crazy. Lamestream Sports is a podcast about Nashville sports media and business. It is hosted by Steve Cavendish of the Nashville Banner, and it is brought to you by Jaspers. Always, always, always brought to you by the fine folks at Jaspers. So you kind of know what we're going to say about Jaspers, right? Like it's the next evolution of the sports bar. Uh, it's family friendly. It's good for all occasions. It's great for watching SEC media days, talking season if you want. So I figured we should predict what exactly is going to come out of these coaches' mouths at SEC Media Days next week in honor of our proud sponsor, Jaspers. What do you think? Uh, let's see how many I can, it. You want to see how many I can get right? <laughs> yeah, let's go. All right, you ask me a coach, and I will try to tell you exactly what they're going to say. All right, we're going to sh- let's start at the top. Okay. Nick Saban. So Clark Lee. Oh, okay. Nick's, <laughs> Nick Saban. Uh, I think he is going to, in a total monotonous overbearing condescending way going to give a speech about the direction of college football nil portal it's just gonna be it, it's the not the next evolution of of a coach speech it is just gonna be nick saban droning on about the the state of our game and if you dare ask him about anything that's not football related he's gonna get all pissy but basically he's gonna get up there and give a speech about how we've got to fix the state of our game. We need unified rules and NIL and portal and player management is destroying our, our game. That's my pick. So, so what you're saying is, is this a sequel or is this, is this the the third, uh, is this the third part of the trilogy? Well, it's, it keeps the, there's more news every year. So he just keeps reacting and keeps complaining. Uh, he's Jimbo, not, and he Jimbo be, Fisher. Oh, I think so. I think some people think he could be softened. I think absolutely not. I think he comes in, just wired, wound up, full of piss and vinegar. Uh, but I think there's going to be something behind his eyes, Steve, that people don't, you have to be real careful, look carefully. <laughs> it, it's, it's it's that he knows, no matter what happens with his new offensive coordinator, Bobby Petrino, of which he is going to be asked about a lot, that he knows no matter what happens, he can't really win. Because if the offense is great, Bobby P gets credit. If the offense is terrible, Jimbo Fisher hired him. I, I think he's going to be full of piss and vinegar, and it's going to feel more disingenuous this year. Lex Luthor. I, I'm sorry, Clark Lee. I, look, he is a fullback. He talks like a fullback. He delivers his message like a fullback. I think he's going to say his talking points in also a very uninspiring way. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I think he's going to say, look, we showed progress. We play, We we uh, we have an identity on defense, uh, and we are, we are one of the most... Um, they're one of only two teams in the SEC with a quarterback and a coordinator coming back. So I think he's going to I think he's going to be cautiously optimistic and I think he's going to talk about his identity and his culture on defense and how they saw results last year at the end of the year with wins over Kentucky and Florida and that they can that with a with some added identity on offense we're feeling like we can get to a bowl game. He will not guarantee an SEC East championship like his predecessor. Do you think he is going to be as boring as that answer was boring? Wow. That's both insulting and accurate about Clark Lee. Josh Heupel. Unfortunately, Coach Dad uh, does not. 
I, I think it's great that he's not going to make any headlines. I think he's just going to get up there and talk about how much he loves his players and how much we're all talking together and kumbaya and kumbaya. And he's coach dad. He doesn't really do any say anything. He's coach speak, coach speak, coach speak, coach speak. Got to find replacements for this. Got to keep the train moving, blah, blah, blah. He's, he's total coach speak. Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart is going to be fired up. We are we are disrespected. Nobody believes in Georgia, even though they're going to be picked to win the whole thing and preseason number one. The media is out to get us. Our players are disrespected. I can't believe that people are writing the things they're writing about us. Stiff upper lip, piss and vinegar, angry, 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 talking points. Talk, like he is going to be pissed, in my opinion. The the anger that only a national championship can bring, <laughs> right? Oh, that and 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 you know a program that has seen two young people die in an accident because of his his football team. So wild card, Eli Eli Drinkwitz. Eli's so fun. He's such a nerd. Like he just gets up there and like will tell you stories, and he's sort of like loose about it and kind of fun. And I I think he's under a little bit of pressure. So I think he's going to talk about recruiting. I think he's going to talk about the the NIL that, that Missouri's gotten spun up recently. So I think there's some things that he's going to discuss that are very positive. He's going to talk about his young, very talented five-star players that are all going to break out this year uh, and that the recent commitment from the organization is going to reap benefits. Uh, and then everyone's going to be like, "How sure, are you sure? <laughs> I, bonus question, how many times... I'm going to set the over under at five and a half. How many times does Hugh Freeze invoke the Lord? Is it above oh, five and a half or below way. five and a half? In just his main statement? Just his main statement. I'll go under in his main statement. But if you ask me throughout the course of, uh, I, I'll think the over under over the course of the entire day with all of his interviews is like 150. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I think inside the st- the opening statement and his main room performance, which is about a 12 to 15 minute thing, right? It's an opening statement and then questions. Uh, Baby Billy will mention the Lord. I'll say three. I'll say three to four times. I'll say three times. Three times is my but he is going to do his best. Eli. Um, uh, Eli Gemstone impersonation as, uh, <laughs> as he's going to be up there. He's going to be out there just preaching, man, preaching all the way. And no one is going to ask him not one time. And maybe I have to be the person to do this about sliding into a, a assault victims DMS. So awesome. Great. I, Great. I, Great. I await, I, I await this audio Blah. with bated breath. <laughs> Go to Jasper's. So you, so you come back to, you come back to Nashville and you come back to, I mean, a station that was, I mean, Channel 4 and Channel 5 duked it out for years and with, like, big, iconic staffs, all, all like, everywhere. News, weather, sports, like, kind of, like, all over the place. Uh, and I assume that you you had wanted to come home, but what, what was it like to come home, but not only that, but to, like, a big station that you grew up watching? Yeah, it was very cool. And it was something that like I had never really planned. I didn't have a destination. I want to get back to Nashville. It was just like a job opened up. And at that time in my career, I was like, you know, let's see, you know, where everything goes. And so I applied and ended up getting the job. And in retrospect, it's been, you know, wonderful because getting to be with my family and see them as often as as I can is is just tremendous. But yeah, no, I'm not gonna lie. Like when I got the job there, it was also like I 
I'm very proud of my family and I, I all, always want to make them proud. And so like the first few times I would go out on the air, which I've been doing this for a while and I know what I'm doing, but I was just <laughs> like, I don't want to screw this up because I know they're watching and I don't want them to be like, oh, crap, you know what I'm saying? And so like there was like a badge that I wore. It was like, I can't screw this up. Um, so how, yeah, how long was, did it take for them to get bored with seeing you on air? Oh, never. My mom still called, you know, text me all the time. I loved your tie you were wearing or you do a great <laughs> job or whatever. No, it's never, never. I, Steve, this is, this is something you don't understand as a non-live broadcaster, but it's, so I was, you know, I've, I worked for ESPN. I worked for Sirius XM. I worked for in the national media for like 12 years. I finally get my first local gig, kind of similar to you, Chris, where I come home even though I never really left, but I come home to do local media for the first time. And now I am more terrified because I know my mother-in-law is listening. And like that part of it is so different than just like, Oh, I've, I've been to national championship games. I've talked to the entire country on, on this radio station, but it's not as much pressure as making sure the mother-in-law and the uncles-in-law and everyone else that's now in the family is like, absolutely. List. Hey, that, Hey, you do a radio show. All right. <laughs> Oh, that's it. And that's, that's absolutely right. And it's so it's something that I didn't expect either because yeah, then it's not just, you know, your family. It's like when your family's been here for a hundred years, like they know a lot of people too. So you're just going to yep. get stopped by people and Hey, great. You know, whatever. So I, and like you realize crap, I don't have the anonymity of being the outsider anymore. You know, let me ask you about the medium here, because I think what, what gives you tremendous value. And we've talked to Teresa Walker about this because she's been here. Uh, sorry T, I I love you, but like for a hundred years, um, and so when you've covered it for that long or been in the market or have history like you do, it offers tremendous value to the storytelling, to your perspective. You have like that, all that stuff inside of you that you can use. Do, does that, do, do you have the space in TV to let all of that perspective add value to your broadcast or is TV the one medium where maybe that it doesn't help you as much? I think it definitely helps me because I feel, uh, some it's for some things just maybe more more informed because I know where stuff has come from and where it is now. And so I, I think I can add context that way. Um that maybe an outsider who's just kind of figuring out the the town can't. And so I do believe and, and especially like you're talking about prep sports, like definitely with high school stuff, like I, I, my knowledge of that may be a little bit bigger just because I know a lot of the histories of, of some of the, the teams and stuff that we cover. And now, you know, it's just, we hit them on Friday nights and then we don't see them again until the next Friday. But I think there's some, some value when it comes to, comes to background knowledge of, of stuff that I knew growing up. Yeah, for sure. Is there anything, is there anything that you see different, you saw differently coming back into the market than from when you left to go to college? Um, I'm trying to think. That's a good question. I think maybe just w when you leave, you think like, you know, Nashville TV and it's, it was and is and whatever. You're like, you think, man, it's it's a big deal. It's like a big market. They cover a lot of cool stuff. Like it's very professional, you know. And so I think coming back and once you've done it for a while, you well, it's it's the same job. It's just, you know, kind of on a, on a bigger level and get to do what you get to do. Um, but I guess. I don't know if, what I'm trying to like the austerity of it. Uh, it was kind of, or the sheen it, it has worn off a little bit when you come back because you know the job as opposed to yep. when you were a 17 year old and you're like, my God, this is amazing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. You're not, you're not as bright eyed and and maybe jaded, yeah. maybe jaded and more cynical is the right way to, <laughs> the right way to put it. I'm, I'm curious. I want to go back to like, I want to tie like leading newscasts in Birmingham with football, like news with football. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to like, what would have to happen in Nashville? 
Like the, I'm assuming the Preds going to the Stanley Cup was probably in that group. Maybe the Titans going to the AFC Championship game. If Tennessee mm-hmm. Volunteers were to play in a national championship game, like try to describe to people because sports is getting squeezed out of newscasts across the country on, at every station. It's not unique to Nashville. But what what would have to happen for your local newscast to start with sports? Um, it would have to be a major story like Mike Vrabel gets fired or, or or something like that. That would be a major story. That would be, you know, the the lead that anyone would be talking about that day. But yeah, it would, it would have to be something, something major like that. How do you fight for that when, when you know it's big and, and maybe it's not as obvious to somebody else in the newsroom? Yeah. I mean, luckily like everyone uh, in management in our newsroom now is great. We have, you know, conversations about X, Y, and Z all the time and they value my opinion. And so I would just be like, uh, if something like that happens, it would be a foregone conclusion. Like I'd be, if I didn't send out the first text or call to somebody, I'd be getting it. Hey, let's talk about how we want to do this. And this is going to be the lead. And so stuff like that's a foregone conclusion now for other stuff, you know, like we do so much at channel four now, so much content, as a news station, you know, we started a three o'clock newscast uh, at the end of last year. So we go from three to four, four to five, five to five thirty, six to seven, um, and then 10 to 1030. So like any day where I have like something like, hey, I'd like to put this on the air, like they'll find a spot for me in the four or five, like just because they we need content. Right. So I think some of that paradigm has kind of shifted back to where we have a lot of time to fill now. So if you've got stuff, like we'll fit it in now. It's not going to be like five minutes worth of stuff, but if you know, you give me, you know, 90 seconds to two minutes of about a story or something in one of those earlier newscasts, they're happy to have it. When, when they announced, and and I was flabbergasted to see a 3 PM newscast newscast. What was the pitch to to you guys about a 3 p.m. newscast? Like, who's watching at that time? Yeah, that I don't know. And we wondered the same thing. And I'm not really involved in it. So I, like, didn't investigate it too much. But, I, I, you know, it just comes down to money, right? Like, so whatever was in that time slot, they're having to pay for syndication for something. And it's now they're just we're putting in our own content there instead. How how much are you guys as a staff, new, new sports, otherwise, whatever, uh, in, investing in distributing your content in as many different possible ways to, to get to aver- to get advertisers as many platforms and as many eyes and ears as possible beyond your traditional newscast? Yeah, they're doing as, as much as they can, you know, trying to find different ways to sell it and stuff like we have an OTT thing that they started um, last year that we do some with. Um, any type of digital stuff, you know, they push all the time. So, you know, stuff ends up streaming or, yeah, nonlinear, as many different nonlinear spaces as they can find to put it, then they'll, they'll try to put it. So. Would the, uh, give me a, give me a ranking here of kind of like the, you've, you've had a, you've now had more than a decade kind of here covering Nashville sports. Give me a ranking of kind of, uh, best to deal with in terms of coaches and worst to deal with in kind of coaches. <laughs> Luckily, everyone's been good, to be honest with you. Um, except, for Ken, with, except for Ken Wisenhunt. Yeah. <laughs> right. And at the, at the time it was like, you know what, like the team's awful. So it's not like we're asking for X, Y, and Z more access. Right. So it just is what it is. Uh, I'll, I'll, luckily all the coaches since I've been here and players have all been really fine and it's been non-issues like there's never really been times where we've been like hey can we do this and just been shot down 
Um, so we've been fortunate that way. I do remember and like, you know, the Pred Stanley Cup run was just fantastic. And the whole time it was great. And we're just churning out content. I do remember post-game pressers after a loss. Peter Laviolette would like answer like two, maybe three questions with oh. like one word. And that would be it. And for someone who had never gone, like I hadn't gone through Stanley Cup playoff uh, coverage before. And so the first time that happened, I was like, is that really how it's how it is? They're like, okay. And so then, yeah, from then on throughout that playoff series, you're like, you know what you're going to get? Sometimes we didn't even go to that presser. We just stay in the locker room because that's – so, I mean, I guess that story would be like, all right, there, there's a an instance of someone being truculent with us, but luckily most of the coaches have been great. To be fair, that's also how he orders meal with the waiter or waitress. <laughs> like, that's also like when when they ask, like, would you like anything else with that? And he's like – He's, he treats you, <laughs> treats them the same way. So um, I'm curious, like I know the NFL gets top billing and, and, and the Titans will always get the most coverage, the most ratings, the most entries, interest, the most eyes and ears on, on, on a TV broadcast. But I'm curious, and I know you weren't in the business at the time, but I'm assuming in the early 2000s, there was a lot more Tennessee volunteers coverage, a lot more NASCAR coverage, a lot more racing coverage. So I'm curious after, after the Titans sort of as number one, like how do you always view the hierarchy of interests with your audience, because like they're certainly when the balls beat Alabama, sure. I got it. That's a bit, that's a big one in, in football, but kind of give us Preds, Nashville, SC, Vanderbilt, you know, local prep sports, Tennessee volunteers, SEC. Like how do you view that hierarchy? Yeah, I guess it's a great question. And one I'm asked a lot, like, I, I think the best way to answer it is that, like, it depends on the day right? Like luckily all those teams don't play on the same day. So like during football season, like we have what MTSU and Tennessee football pressers are on Mondays. So those will run on Mondays. Vanderbilt goes on Tuesday. So we got that there. The Titans practice on Wednesday and Thursday. So it's all them. Friday is high school football day. Saturday is college football. Yeah. That's Tennessee and Vanderbilt, depending on the game times, like de determines which is run first or whatever. Um, and then Sunday is the Titans. Th so there's never really like a struggle of what do we put first? Because each day presents something new. Now, I will like so when there is a mix of the seasons, like in what late October, mid to late October, when the Preds play like the Preds are unless it's like the opening game or whatever, then the Preds are going at the bottom of a sports cast on a Saturday night on a college football night, just because that's that's how it is. Um, but yeah, typically and luckily it just kind of the day determines what goes where. What about, uh, I'm going to ask you specifically about like March, you've got Nashville SC season starting, you've got college basketball with Vanderbilt, Belmont, Tennessee, you know, you got women's college basketball is big in this state. You got the, the Preds are, you know, playing, you've got the Memphis Grizzlies playing potentially that racing is up and running at that time. Like what, how do you go about it in March and April, let's say? Yeah, I'd say typically since that's like, you know, the bread and butter time for college hoops, I, I would put college hoops first and then probably Nashville SC after that and then and then whatever else. Because, um, yeah, Mar March and April and beginning of April to me is, is college hoops time. So that's kind of what what takes takes serve there. Every broadcaster, uh, every broadcaster fights for more time. Uh, you know, whether it's whether it's in the broadcast or it's for a story or whatever else. What what's the story that you've had here over the last you know ten years or so that you were like you know I only got X man I would have loved to have done 
five minutes on this or a half hour on this. Like this thing is much bigger than than just like the like the little amount of time that I that I got a chance to broadcast on. Yeah, um, another good question. Now you know. Luckily, it's again since we have so much content to fill. Like there are avenues there um, to to fill it in in different ways. I'm trying to think like on a Titan Sunday, like you can fill as much time as you want because not only just from the game and initial reacts, like there's so many other just little little subplots and side stories about uh, different positions and stuff that you can run. So on Sundays, I get a lot more leeway and like, you know, if I need to do you know we just have the 10 to 10 30 show like we don't have the 30 minute sports show at night like we do it in the morning now because like we have a titans game day show that's like a pre-game show now that we do early so on the back end of it uh our content is just part of the 10 o'clock newscast on sundays i'll do i'll do six minutes on titans easy um and then maybe you know a little bit afc south and then like we're out of time so i guess tight titan stuff there's like However much time you can give me, I'll find a way to fill it. <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to uh, actively remove your leverage here. So that's not my goal. But, I, but I'm but i curious, because you are a Nashville guy, would it take something extraordinary for you to want even consider wanting to move on? Or is this where you want to be for, you know, 30 years? Yeah, um, I don't know. It's I, I think now it's just about like for me um and has been a way that way for a while just about the work like as long as i get to do cool stuff and work with good people um in an area of the country that's nice where we get to do good stuff then like i'm i'm good so like i never like i never thought or never planned that i needed to come back to nashville i'm not going to say that i'm going to be here forever just because i i don't know like sure i'll we'll always listen to other other possibilities. I'm not right now actively seeking out any of them, but you know, if you keep your eyes and ears open and you know, who knows what'll happen, but I, I could end up being here for a while. I have, I have no idea. I have no idea. So I try not to limit myself that way, I guess. I need to ask you, because we've seen this with ESPN and some other places here that have, that are like undergoing like kind of radical shifts and sort of what they do. And you talk to a sportscaster and there's always there's always kind of in the back of your head, oh, you know, maybe sports center is is like a destination sort of thing, or maybe you know, maybe kind of a big national gig is it is a destination sort of thing. But that seems to be changing. I mean, the ESPN is scaling down uh, as they as they make this kind of shift to as they make this kind of long term shift to, to streaming, uh, and there and there are other there aren't kind of the other big national opportunities maybe that there once were does it what what do you how do you see kind of like big sports broadcasting changing here over the next few years yeah it's a good question i'm i'm kind of curious to see how it evolves as well it seems more and more like what event coverage specifically is like taking on a bigger role maybe um and i've also seen like corporations like media corporations getting into the game of like what owning now like broadcasts for teams like i think out in arizona um one of the corporations out there what like runs all the stuff for the phoenix suns now and like is in charge of all of their pre and game production and post production and all that stuff so I, i think there's at least from what i can tell right now there's more of an emphasis on live event programming 
as opposed to just like normal like news newscasts or sports casts. So I'm curious to see how that evolves. I, I think the I think the Padres sort of called Bally's bluff. Like Bally's took him off the contract. And the Padres are like, all right, we're gonna do it. And like now they're doing it themselves. I think the Jazz might be doing that too. So it's really it, it's very interesting to watch uh where these teams are going. They're all production houses now. That that is sure. for sure. Um, uh, Chris, thank you so much, man. We really appreciate your time. Uh, obviously try to take a deep breath, uh, before media days and Titans camp opens up and then we're off and running seven days a week again after that. So thank you, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, no, happy to be on guys. I appreciate it very much. That was Chris Harris from WNSC, uh, WSMV, excuse me, uh, here in Nashville channel four, I think his story is great, man. Like to, to grow up here and see to see the market, to have family here for so long, to get to go cover. Uh, just if you don't know the Dave Bliss story at Baylor, it's absolutely batshit crazy. Uh, and then to be covering national title after national title after national title and the Nick Saban coaching search, like to be sometimes you just are, are lucky to be in a certain place at a certain time. And uh, that's really, really fun and lucky for him. And then to come back and the Titans get good and the Preds go on the cup run and now the Vols are back. And, you know, it's just a whole Actually, he, probably, he would have covered James Franklin at Vanderbilt as well. Like, he's just been very lucky to cover some of the things he's gotten to cover. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good guy. Glad he's home. Glad he's uh, glad he's in the spot where he is. It wasn't nearly. I'll give Chris credit. He We gave him enough time to really, really go all in on Mizzou and, and to be holier than thou and to be <laughs> condescending. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, <laughs> that, 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 that's really, I mean, so Mizzou grads in general not the most insufferable J school uh, graduates. I mean, who, who that, are that, that title has been held that that title may even be retired by Medill and Northwestern who are only even more insufferable <laughs> since, since, since the student media broke all of the Pat Fitzgerald stuff this yes. week, which I mean, kudos to them. That's fantastic. But, but all you're going to hear, I, I know, mean, I, know. I, I could, I could feel the Medill grads in, in my life, like puffing out their chest at the fact that the student newspaper was the, the one that, that, the, that uh, broke, that broke this story. The absolute uh, arrogance and irony of a university that consistently touts itself as the best and greatest journalism school in the history of school, trying to think that it could not release the details of an investigation of its own school, only yeah. to be found out by the J school. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just fantastic. You can't write it. You can't write it. Um, no, special thanks to Chris. And again, I, I give him a lot of credit. Like you, you can, you're right. Missouri's not as insufferable, but they're very proud. Okay. They're very, they're, oh, they're, they're very proud. They're quite proud. And they should be. They, I mean, they, they should. But Missouri grads have done well over the years. They have. They have. Um, okay. So ESPN, um, SEC media days are coming to town. We, we get, we gave you a bunch of predictions and talking points. Um, uh, don't skip the ads, folks. Go to Jasper's. Uh, and I'll get Steve your recommendations here coming up in a second. Uh, I've got some self-serving promotion to do in just a minute. But uh, ESPN, like many media companies, Steve, going through a ton of layoffs right now. They are. Uh, I need to. I, we, there's a little bit of news. You didn't want to make a big deal out of it. I'm I just. I'm just going to ask you about it here. You just signed a new contract with ESPN. I did. I did. And certainly with with the thank you for that with a landscape as it currently sits uh and i'm not one to really i don't do like the long form notes personal news thing on on personal on, news yeah i don't really do, it's not really Maybe i see thing. that on twitter you're just like uh-oh like i talk a lot steve but
but I, I actually, for someone who talks as much as I do, I'm actually quite private with what's going on in my personal life. But, but I, you know, I'm, it's, I'm an honor to have signed. I'm honored to have signed uh, and be working at ESPN for, I think, the fourth Ooh. contract, four years now. But like, in light of four major rounds of layoffs with executives all the way down to this last one, which is all honor people that a lot of whom I know, uh, it just, it just doesn't feel right to, to talk as, too much about it. As penance for, as penance for that contract, they just made you do two weeks of fine bomb. Uh, <laughs> how you, how you, how you feeling with the, uh, how you feeling with the, uh, fine bomb collars right now? So they're my people. I love them, but it, it like it, I, I don't know how Paul does that for five, for four hours every day for five days a week. I just did it for basically two straight weeks and like eight straight shows. And it is, man, it like, it, <laughs> I think you absence have to, makes a, absence makes the heart grow fonder, and uh, you need some absence right now. Well, number number one, the, the the most humbling part of the experience. First of all, tr- truly, like it, if I lost every single job and turned became an accountant or something um, for the rest of my life, I just would be honored the fact that I got to host the Paul Feinbaum show. I just think that's um, as far as career accomplishments go. Personally, that means a lot to me. Um, but I think being able to like. First of all, they will all call when you're the host and will ask. They'll call into the show and they don't want to go on the air. They just want to know when Paul's coming back. So like it's (laughs) it's it is a very humbling experience. It's a very humbling experience when you see the phone lines light up and they're all just being like, hey, I don't want to talk to this slappy. But when's Paul coming back? And so you have to build you have to build a relationship with with some of them. And I've got a bunch of callers now who are kind of on my team because I've hosted enough and. You know, everybody hates Jim in Tuscaloosa or whatever. And I finally got Jim to call back into the show because he tried to call in one time and claim that he was going to sue us and get us fired like me and my production staff. Um, But it's they're they're just they're just college football junkies like me. And so I kind of love talking with them. Um, But at the same time, you kind of have to just it's very humbling. You have to just be willing to laugh at yourself and laugh at you know, America. <laughs> one guy, one guy called, this is a true story, Steve. One guy, and I get to tell you, I get to do it on this show. I certainly can't do it on that show. One guy called in because this was when we were covering the live golf Senate hearing thing um, that I mentioned earlier, actually in the show. And I, I, I asked people cause I spun it into a college football topic. And I said, when, when this, when sports washing comes to college sports and it is going to happen, if Missouri, all of a sudden, has a billion dollars in Saudi money to buy every great recruit. Like, how are we going to hit? Like, are we going to be okay with that? Are we going to like, I think it's something worth thinking about as a college football fan. And one guy calls in, swear to God, within two sentences, he goes, I'll tell you what I think about this foreign money coming into our sports. I hate it. I don't like it. But, you know, I like Donald Trump. And then he goes on to explain why he doesn't like woke and, and everything else. And, I, I, you know, I wanted to be like, can you define woke for me? Um, but I didn't. I resisted. But the idea that in two sentences, back-to-back sentences, you can claim you do not like foreign money in <laughs> influencing our culture and our sports, and then claim to love Donald Trump is just, you just can't make that up. <laughs> it is, uh, it is, that is a spectacular juxtaposition there. I, that I is could not, fantastic. I, I'm surprised I still have a job. I couldn't resist. I said one sentence after that call. I said, I said, well, I, I think Trump's pretty good buddies with the Saudis. And then I moved on. That was it. Like I was like one good one. It was like one, it was like one sentence. But I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. I had to say something. Anyway, oh, over. So uh, 
I wanted to get your good news out uh, before we talked about sort of the bad news stuff at ESPN. Uh, friend of the show, Jason Fitz, uh, no longer employed by the worldwide leader, along with a lot of other names. I mean, that that list was massive. I mean, Susie Colber, who I believe was the first person on uh, uh, to appear on ESPN2. To, uh, total female trailblazer in the industry, too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, Colber, Todd McShay. Um, I mean, the, the list, the list is just long and brutal of really good people that you have come to know and associate with ESPN over the years. Um, how, how shocked were you by some of those names? I mean, I mean, I gotta be careful here, but I would say, um, I, I don't, you know, like <laughs> I, there's, a, there was so many different rounds of it all. I mean, could it have been done better? Maybe. I, I don't know. I guess. Um, I, I think Fitzy, because I mean, there's, he, there's, there's no good way to do what they did. No, no, no. Um, yeah. but I think, I think Fitzy's the one that makes the least sense. Like I can see Max Kellerman and Keyshawn Johnson because they are extremely high profile, extremely, I'm assuming very well compensated. And, and, and they said, and like, this was like in the PR right. release that basically said, you know, we're cutting salary. Right. That that that, that there were a lot of high price that uh, they were very upfront about saying that there were a lot of people with big salaries that that were going to have to leave the network. Uh, st- stock price over the last eight months, by the way, I don't believe has changed. Um, so there's just a small piece of context for you. Uh, but Fitzy's the one that really I mean, obviously, he's the closest one to me. Like I'm closest to him of all of them. And it's the one that makes the least amount of sense because again, this is not, this is a guy who did, I'm not, I don't, I don't know his finances, but he does very well at ESPN, but he's not as expensive as Todd McShay. And he does a whole lot more stuff than Todd McShay. So like I was, that one was a little frustrating to me personally. Um, Again, I just think he's one of the most talented and and he and I have talked since, but I would say he, he is truly Steve, one of the most talented, if not the most talented person I've ever worked with in any form in this business and for him to be able to do all the stuff he can do and you know radio digital snapchat sports center play a damn fiddle on a monday night football promo cover the draft like he he can do so much it doesn't that one that one hurt personally and uh there's no way he won't end up in great shape on his feet somewhere because he's too talented but that one doesn't make that's the one that obviously affected me the most and uh it's hard to it's hard to i don't know the details i don't know the finances of all these things you know they've 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 there's there are some quote unquote sacred cows at at ESPN and uh, Paul Feinbaum has said this he's not even one of them so just you can imagine how how narrow that field of vision is at the top of the most important people in in the company talent wise uh, it's a very small number of people that that are sort of the quote unquote sacred cows so the the thing that I was not as shocked by McShay. Uh, in part because, in you know, we've talked to, you know, we we talked to Mel, uh, and I I think Mel and, and Matt Miller was on. Un- well, well, that's what I was gonna say. Mel's untouchable, like like you couldn't you couldn't cut Mel, but you had you had a bunch of high priced uh, draft analysts, and somebody was gonna go. It didn't shock me that it was McShay. Um, especially since Matt Miller has gotten more and more time uh, at ESPN here over the years, you know, it's something we talked to him about, uh, you know, a couple of months ago in a pod that, that 
his his sort of his sort of presence you know doing pop-ins and then even like on the 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 draft broadcast proper has grown uh and and when i heard that i thought my first thought was you know great for him because i i love talking to i love talking to miller he's really good um yeah always enjoy it but but my next thought was when that when i heard the cuts were coming i was like well if somebody goes they've been they've been growing miller you right, know, right. you see sort of like the natural progression for him from this I, I do want to add, and this is this is not company line. This is not um, defending the way they handled this in any way, shape, or form, or have any idea what their future is. I mean, they uh, that's that. This is just my personal thing because when I during the pandemic, when I lost 80 percent of my revenue before we launched this company, um, I, my contract was quote unquote put on hold as every single part time employee was. And there was a good chance I was never coming back. And I told my wife at, at that at that moment when that happened in April of 2020, I said, if I never, ever work a single day again for ESPN, it will have been, I will be extremely proud of it. And it is still unlike any other. And so when I, I remember to this day, I was sitting in my brother-in-law's truck driving around the beach on vacation when my boss called me and said, we want to bring you back to host Saturday mornings. And I, like, it was surreal because it it was an honor to be brought back, but like it, it, those, the people that work there, it really is. And it, it's unlike any other company in this business. It, it really is like the way they take care of the people that do work there. The, you know, I'm talking about personal benefits and paternity leave and just the things that they do for the people that work there. And the fact that ESPN is the the mothership of sports coverage. There is nothing like it. There, there is no other company like it. And to say that I've had three or four contracts with with ESPN, like, again, if, if I lost every job at tomorrow and became a construction worker, which I'm very much considering the office space route in the future. Great. <laughs> I know Great. You, probably, you probably love that. Um, it, it is it's just unlike any other place I've ever worked. It, it really is a, a different beast. It's a it, it. It's the greatest sports company ever, ever assembled. And it always has been. And it probably always will be. And I don't. Uh, I don't say that lightly, you know, just in general, that is why watching, you know, a friend, you know, with, with Fizzy, that's why it's so tough because I know how good it is when you're inside it. It's, it's really an extraordinary place. It it really is. So uh, anyway, yeah, it sucks. And I, and I, I, I like it. I, I agree with you. I think Fitzy's going to, going to end up I, uh, someplace on his feet. Of all the but, people I'm not worried about in this world, Jason Fitz is one of them. He's going to be all right. I'm not worried about him. Uh, okay. Right, rec- what do you got recommendation wise? Well, I'm going to be self-serving here first. All right. Fine. Uh, I've told you about Pod Bless Nashville, brand new product from 440 Media covering Nashville news, politics, government history, etc. We have We are rolling out all of our long form sit down conversations with all of the mayoral candidates. Freddie O'Connell episode went up today. We've already taped with Matt Wilcher. We are taping with Jeff Yarborough. We've got Sharon Hurt on the schedule. We've got Heidi Campbell on the schedule. So if you want to get to know, this is not a 90-second standard answer at a forum where you have to ask 14 questions of 14 candidates for like an hour. This is one hour with one candidate and get to know them as in-depth as possible. I know you've done Q&As with all these people as well. I think it is the best possible way to get to know their personality, to get to know where they stand on things. We're not at, we're not pulling back on questions being asked. So hopefully uh, these long form, we had an, like 70 minutes with Freddie O'Connell. We got 50 minutes with Matt Wilcher. We're, we're going to, 
we're going to ask every possible question, but then follow ups and spend time getting to know their affordability plan or get to know get to know how they want to rebuild trust in the city, both with the council, with voters and with the state. Like we get to spend time with issues in this forum, which is why I love the forum. So please check it out. Pod bless Nashville everywhere you get your podcasts. Um, I know that's a promotion, but whatever. It's my show. It's a good, it's a good promotion, and uh, the show's been good so far. And the the Freddie, uh, the Freddie interview uh, was really good. I really, really enjoyed it. So thank you, you, thank you. You absolutely, absolutely should should check out Podcast Nashville. Uh, my recommendation is also completely self serving. Uh, that's why it's here at the end of the show. Okay. Um, over at Nashville Banner, uh, there's there's a lot of resources for you as a voter if you have not made a decision on both the on both at the council the vice mayor uh, and at the mayoral level uh we've got in-depth interviews with all of the mayoral candidates we have profiles up with with detailed questionnaires for all of the council uh district council uh candidates and at-large candidates and um we are in the process of and hopefully by the time you hear this uh, we will have appended every single one of those council profiles with their financial disclosure information uh, from stuff that was that was uh, that came out on Monday. Uh, our staff has been working on stuff all week, so you should be able. Not only will you have kind of like uh, on those profiles, kind of like a top line look at what they've raised. We'll also give you the documents, uh, and you, and you can read them themselves of uh, of what their financial disclosures are. We think that injecting as much transparency as possible into the election process is yep. is vital and we haven't had enough of it uh, kind of from local media and that's what we're that's what we're trying to that's what we're trying to do uh but if you just want uh if you just want election news every morning in your inbox go to nationalbanner.com give us your email and we will uh we'll we'll do stuff like this morning like when we broke a story about a uh, a new pack coming in to spend heavily to try to get Alice Rowley into the runoff so uh, and uh, so it's funny. I saw a quote from one Mr. Steve Cavendish about, man, I really and I'm paraphrasing here. I really I've I've talked to some really into this in the weeds guys, men and women who really know a ton about this stuff, who are really high information voters and have not yet decided on who they're voting for. And I just thought it was honored to be you were talking about me. I just thought it was great <laughs> that you were you were talking, <laughs> talking about me. On, in, there are like five different five. people, like five different people that have said exactly what you said to me, which is like, <laughs> hey, thanks for mentioning me. Well, <laughs> oh, oh, wait, people have just, said that, let's, too. Let's, yeah, well, let, let's let's just say it was a composite character. Just there's just like the, a lot of people. Well, there's a lot of people that fall into that category right now that have not made a decision on who they're going to vote for. You better asterisk me as tongue in cheek, okay? Just make sure that mine is clearly tongue and <laughs> tongue and tongue in cheek. Um, no, it's okay. I want to leave. I want to leave a little Easter egg here at the end for everybody for the mayoral race. I'm curious if you think there has been any separation in tiers within that top eight because Roley, there is a there's even some new polls out that have Alice Roley moving up. I, I know about the super pack you're talking or not super pack the pack you're talking about. If I were to say, uh, let, me, let me let me let me just say this. I'm going to preempt you by saying this. If you hear polls here, like right now or in the next week, and I know there's another one in the field next week, um, the <laughs> the horse race is uh, horse race polls right now do not de are not determinate. No, the most important thing that is in those polls is the percentage of voters that is undecided and and right now it is somewhere between 25 and 40% and which means that all polls 
right now are, are just they're not stupid, but, th- but they are they are not determinative. Okay, so so, so don't so, don't if you when you hear a leader, don't think to yourself, oh well, that's who's going to be in the runoff. That is right. That nothing is baked. I I have a very clear guess for the first time in the race at who I think the top two will be, ba- based on like winners probably going to number one's going to get to twenty two thousand votes and number two is probably going to get to seventeen thousand votes and then there's going to be a bunch of people at twelve thousand votes. Like I have a, I have a very, I've kind of settled on who I think the top two will be, but I want to know about the top tier. Could I say that four or five have slightly broken away in your mind? And this is not about polling. This is about just campaign finance. This is about messaging strategy. This is about people responding. This is about talking to people on the ground. If I were to say there were four, maybe a fifth candidate breaking away into a top tier, would you agree? Or no? You can I say think no. that I I think I think there's four people for two slots right now. I I I agree with you. Do you want to tell me who those four are? <laughs> uh, I do not because journalists are <laughs> notoriously shitty predictors. So I mean, we, we do not do predictions on the pod. No. Uh, How about this? No, go I, I go listen to the open. Go, go listen to my open of Pod Bless Nashville, and then tell me if you think I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, all um, right. No, no. I, I just I, I just. Uh, there's too many variables like i mean like like in the in the poll that you're referencing like jeff yarbrough's in single digits jeff yarbrough is also sending on half a million dollars and like they have i'm i've talked to their people they have that they have a plan for like how they're going to close uh they they these campaigns all do somebody's theory of the race is going to be correct and mm. and you're going to see it but i but i told i told you know i was on channel five last night and chris davis and i were talking about this and i said look uh it may be very late on election night before we know who who's in the runoff there's always that moment when the early voting uh is is released usually it's like 7 30 or so and that is usually determinative of how the race is going to turn out. I think that this the time. early voting, I think the early voting um, group may be different than the election day group. Yep. And so just because of, you know, when we hear that number and you, you're going to hear, oh, such and such has 22% of the vote. They may not end up with that. Yep. They may be higher or lower, but 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 they may not end up with that. And it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting election night and an extraordinary pain in the ass if you're trying to cover this stuff. <laughs> I, like, for example, I'm not making predictions, but hypothetically, one might say a lot of early vote could go to Freddie O'Connell. Doesn't mean a lot of day of vote will go to Freddie O'Connell. That's just a hypothetical right. presentation of what could take place in theory. Otherwise, forget all that garbage. Go to Jasper's. Uh, Go to although, Jasper's. Although I will say this comes out on Friday, the four, <laughs> Friday the fourteenth. Uh, that is the day of early voting. So go register. Uh, don't you've already had to register. Go vote. You've got like all the way up to like the 29th to vote, and then of course elect August third is election day. So make sure you vote at large, vice mayor, council districts, state house, you name it. You should be involved. You should vote. Check out the Nashville Banner for all the information you need. Check out Pod Bless Nashville as well. We do appreciate Chris Harris for joining us. Uh, Other than that, go to Jaspers. For Steve, I am Braden. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you.